Do you want an advertising joke before I leave? Yes. Yes. Yes, please. I don't think it's filthy or anything, but uh, a woman dies, 58 years old, uh, and goes goes to heaven. And she's being inspected by St. Peter. That's what happens, right? He's looking at her dossier, and he says, you're 58 years old, and I see you're a virgin. Like, how is this possible? You've been, you know, married for 34 years. You're 58 years old. You're still a virgin. How is this possible? And she said, well, my husband was in advertising. And every day, every night, he'd come into the bedroom. He'd sit on the side of the bed and tell me how great it was going to be. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another very special episode of uh, I Love That Ad. Uh, Shane W. Brennan is with me as always. Hello, Shane. Hello. And joining us today, all the way live from New York, not on Saturday night, but uh, of this very early morning, it is George Tannenbaum, uh, copywriter and chief George officer at George Co. Welcome to the podcast, George. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I don't think I've said the name George as many times in a short space of time as I did just there. It's one of those names that uh, has fallen out of favor. I get English kings notwithstanding. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to uh, to have you on, on the podcast, and uh, you're 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 uh, one of those those great names when it comes to the world of advertising, but all, specifically with copy and and kind of even even a glancing at your work from a distance it's a uh, it's clear that you're you're a person who loves copy craft in particular uh, would i be would i be right in saying that you know i i, I think so it's um i i have a visual i have an eye um and i and i you know i like pretty images but i can't necessarily do them and um, so I, I, you know, I do what I can do as well as I can do it. And um, some, it's, I was fired four years ago from Ogilvy, and um, I realized, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, starting a business uh, when I, I was going to start a business, and I, and I realized, you know, I had twenty thousand at the time LinkedIn uh, followers, and I realized. Uh, that's not a social platform anymore. That's a media channel. So if I could figure out a way to show my skill by writing little ads that fit in LinkedIn, um, I'd benefit. So, you know, I, I, I worked, I worked at it. I, I, I made those ads and, and I've been writing a blog literally every day for 16 years. So, you know, I got good at it. And those, those ads in particular though, on your, on your LinkedIn, some of them, they really do jump out. Um, noise cancelling headlines is is one in particular that yeah. uh, that 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 I that I was drawn to. And did w- once you kind of got the reaction from those, did it kind of spur you on going, oh, uh, this is this is the right direction. I'm 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 enjoying this 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 path. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, the social media world, uh, what we used to call Facebook, what we used to call Twitter and LinkedIn is a 12 point world, all type is 12 point. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I don't even have to be that good. If I make it 72 point, people will notice. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, 
in a way you could reduce it to numbers. So, um, you know, I decided to be bold when everybody else was, like I said, 12 point or eight point. Uh, so, and, and then if you can make things funny, you're, you're showing off your, uh, I, I think I realized, and I know this isn't the topic of our discussion, but I think I realized that in a way in 2020, whenever I started doing this, a portfolio was a look back at someone's career. Um, here's the work I did that went through 17 rounds of revisions and finally made it on the air. Mm -hmm. But today we have the craft, you know, the skills, the tools, the whatever to do something ourselves every day. So here's a business. And I think this is germane to what we'll be talking about in the ads. Here's a business where we, we, we tell our clients about 40 times a day to show, not tell, except when it comes to promoting ourselves, um, we tell, not show, we, 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 we show, you know, we, we display something we did years earlier rather than what are you doing today? Not, mm -hmm. not, not let's look retrospectively at your work. What have you done today? So I find it an effective way of, um, showing off and it's been touch wood an effective way to get business. So I'm not going to change. Um, you know, and yes, I do get a lot of positive response and, um, you know, I made communication arts advertising annual last year. Um, and I get a lot of calls from clients from those ads. Amazing. And actually that's, the, you, you touched on it there. It's something that, um, is quite <laughs> admirable and, and dare I say magnetic from, uh, your, your, your kind of out there approaches the, the right now. Uh, one of the lines that you have is um, every client deserves to work with a founder. And, and I want to talk to you about that, right. you know, particularly around being a chief George officer and, right. and access to the founder. But then you follow that quite quickly uh, with uh, a few clients deserve to work with me. And there, right. there's there's that oozes kind of confidence in, in the craft, but also someone who's kind of probably dealt with enough shit to realize I don't need to deal with this, some shit. Uh, would, it, would that be right? Well, you know, again, it's funny um, to my to my eyes because we we put on a pedestal Steve Jobs, uh, and we say, you know, he was the modern the modern Burnback, let's say, the modern master of marketing, and yet none of us really take note of the lessons from Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs had a certain arrogance. Uh, I mean who in their right mind would charge $29 for a cable, uh, Steve Jobs. Uh, that, that, that is a certain degree of arrogance. And, you know, he always created uh, a sense of shortage. Um, you, you know, when a new product comes out, and I don't know if iPhone 97 is coming out in Dublin. <laughs> um, you know, it's out here in New York. And the, you know, the fanfare, the anticipation, the excitement, because it's hard, partly because it's hard to get, uh, some of that's diminished over in the cook era, but you, you know, it's, it's, he creates a shortage and he, he's not all thanks to all people. And I, I'm talking about him eponymously as Apple, you know, he, uh, they're not all thanks to all people. They stand for something and, you know, do you, he's not catering to you. So, I don't know that I was consciously following that, but I do often say, 
the first ad I did in my series for myself was uh, now considering select freelance opportunities. Everybody else was saying, I'm open for freelance. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm just, I'm not going to be a beggar. And when I see, you know, people with that semicircle, that green semicircle that says open for work, I look at them and say, what the hell are you doing? You're basically saying, get my price down because mm-hmm. I need this job. And that's just, that's just not good marketing. <laughs> it's not good marketing. And and you're in marketing. Um, so... <laughs> I, you know, there's certain things I don't get about people, but, um, you know, the whole, the whole thing about working with a founder and certain clients are, are, um, deserve to work with a founder. I mean, that's something I, you know, I believe that the traditional agencies have lost the holding company agencies have lost. There's no metaphorically. And of course, physically, there's no Ogilvy at Ogilvy, um, there's no um, Hegarty at BBH. There's no um, Fallon at Fallon. Uh, I can't even think of great agencies anymore. And and a lot of the great places have been you know merged into oblivion, so they don't really stand for anything, and they don't really have that um, that the 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 uh, originality the drive, the gusto for work and for serving people that I think founders have because A, we're petrified of failing um, and B, we had the drive to do it in the first place. So I think there is something special, a special pride in being a founder that is unique as opposed to a, um, a bureaucrat. Um, I read a lot of history and I don't remember when the battle was, but it was the last time a king led his troops into battle. Now, I can't imagine England's current king leading (laughs) a vacuum cleaner out of a broom closet. But, um, you know, that must have been something uh, when, when a political leader led the troops into battle in a way felt uh involved so involved in the success of an operation and i think that's what founders have they have i'm not going to let this fail this is not this is not just an assignment this is my it's got my name on it mm-hmm. you know and my name uh you know over the year my years in the business i've had to make my name stand for something mean something um it's i don't know what most agency names mean anymore um mm-hmm. my name means you get me and for better or worse this you know um as they say in computer uh jargon what you see is what you get and you know you get someone who has little veins pop out uh because he's excited and dedicated and that's the way the business is supposed to be it's not supposed to be um a coal mine <laughs> you know yeah. it's supposed to be it's supposed there were there were a reason most agencies were named after people, not um, they weren't named uh, amphibian or something like that. Um, you know, because you put yourself, you put your soul in it. That definitely sounds like a natural real agency. It probably yeah. is if you yeah. Google it yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I, I think it has but to it... be purple amphibian, and uh, yeah, and yeah. and we got a logo. The whole thing's all set. We're done. Let's go, boys. Yeah. 
yeah yeah love it remember that for years it was it was color and shape was anything it was like (laughs) yellow square yeah yeah (laughs) and what is what does it mean i mean yeah yeah. exactly and we they try to imbue these things with meaning but they don't have this thing as meaning like you can kill me if you don't like the work and the work doesn't work you can Hmm. you can kill me and you know my my deal today is clients call me up yesterday was the holiest day of the jewish year i had probably four client calls i don't necessarily like that but i'm writing eulogies for people at funerals and you know it's 10 38 and something has to go to press at 11 and they forgot and i'm the one they call because they know my name's on the door i'm going to come through yeah it's not you know if you go to a supermarket in america and you say where's the oatmeal People use the point and they go aisle four. You have, I mean, aisle four is, you know, 40 yards long. That's not the way you serve people. And that's kind of the, kind of what, how the industry's devolved. I think it's, it's, you're on your own, you know, I'll get into you're on your ownism later, but um, that's not where I am. Yeah. And and I suppose that, that, that approach as well in terms of, you know, taking pride in your name and, you know, being unabashedly yourself and letting your personality and uh, come true, it, it reminds me of what the the founder of Dermalogica would say when and and she she said this on on Stephen Bartlett's uh, Diary of a CEO podcast where, you know, she wasn't afraid to piss off a, a high percentage of potential clients because by doing that you're getting the opposite effect for. The followers where the people who are passionate about your brand you're activating them you're turning them on that's right that they 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 they, they become more staunchly you and defensive of you right. because you stand for something either way or kind of have a, a tone of voice either way and i, I kind of uh the, the the push has a pull in the other in the opposite Divide direction. and conquer yeah, yeah. <laughs> um george i can't wait to get into your selection of ads so i think uh one quick question and then please introduce your first ad. So sure. when I asked you the question of uh, bringing three ads, kind of what immediately came to mind? Is it these ads or what type of ads kind of started flicking through your brain? Um, f- first, I guess, is panic. Um, you know, <laughs> partly because my, I, I've been in a sense, in the business my entire life. My father was in the business before me. His brother, my uncle, who was 15 years older than he was in the business. So from literally kind of ob ovo, from the egg, I've been following advertising. I mean, going to the supermarket, the grocery store with my father was like a masterclass in marketing because everything had a reason He looked for the story and everything. The explanations that I would get about shelf space at when I was six are beyond master's level uh, today. So advertising, you know, we were the family, the one family on the block, you know, like the haunted house on the block. It's, It's always rainy and cloudy over everything else is sunny. We were the family that always paid attention to commercials while everyone got a a sandwich um so you know it was like oh my god i could pick any one of a thousand commercials and 
I literally have file after file on my computer of, I mean, literally thousands of commercials. Some of it due to Dave Dye. Dave Dye and I, I don't know if you, you've talked to Dave Dye yet. Dave writes a blog. He's English, English art director. He, he writes a blog called Stuff from the Loft. Stuff from the Loft. Mm-hmm. And he'll, you know, he'll literally do a portrait of either a Brit or an American, literally have hundreds of ads uh, on it. And I usually cut and paste all those ads. And I have a, you know, I have dossier after dossier because I don't want to lose them if you know when 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 calamity happens to the web or something um but you know how do i get it down to three um is is a really hard question because i i'm lucky enough to actually love advertising i actually i'm one of the few people left i think who actually believes in its power Mm -hmm. Uh, um and so getting it down to three was really hard and then you know, as as a 65 year old who's been fired for being old already, you know, you don't want to come across as, um, you know, an old man on the front lawn howling at the moon about, you know, kids today don't know anything. So you want to make sure they have a certain um, relevance or, or palatability anyway for today, um, which is a vastly different market. But, um, I'd be wrong if I didn't quote Howard Gossage that, you know, nobody reads advertising. People read what interests them. And sometimes it's an ad. I still believe in that. Uh, I, I still believe that people read what interests them. And sometimes it's an ad. So our job is to make things interesting. Another thing that I read that I'll bring up, uh, by the Englishman, and I'm sure I'll pronounce his name incorrectly, Simon Sebag Montefiore, who has a, uh, a giant book, 1,300-page uh, book out now that I just read it, that I just read, excuse me, um, called The World, a Family, Hi- a Family History of Humanity. And he has a quote in there from Edward O. Wilson that says humans have paleolithic uh, Paleolithic minds, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Well, my job is to to appeal to the Paleolithic mind, the mind that really hasn't changed since we came down from trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we still like a story. We still like to laugh. We still like heroes. Um, and I believe that those those elemental things are still appealing um and i don't i don't buy the stuff about short attention span i buy that as a cop-out uh that people don't want to take the time to be interesting yeah i think uh, that's that's it's a good point and i think that's that's one that i think a lot of people are starting to share you know the that 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 powerpoint slide that i was in nearly every single deck for for a good five, six, seven years, is starting to be removed. I think a, a, a lot quicker, and it's when the, when you yeah. see amazing ads, longer ads. And <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 a devil on this podcast for bringing long ads that Shane has banned me from bringing. Long yeah, ads you're anymore. bringing like ten minute British <laughs> Airways <laughs> safety videos. I'm like you're. Well, I was like Aaron, come on, we we got to look after the audience here. But, well, but, well but even the, the thing to... that swept my feed last week or earlier, Apple. 
I was thinking the Warburtons with Samuel Jackson. Yes. I mean, that was two minutes long. Um, And, you know, for bread. And for for Americans, a bread we've never heard of. Um, So, you know, that held my attention. And, you know, now I know two English brands of breads. Hovis because of Ridley Scott and Warburton's because of that, um, you know, that spot. So, yes, I'm a student of it. I notice things, but that's okay. That's okay. It kept <laughs> me interested. There's a well, then, there's a Warburton's rabbit hole you can go down as well. Slice the loans in one. Uh, oh. When the Expendables two was coming out a couple, uh, what about five years ago? There's oh, there's a great back catalog of Warburton's. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know anything about it until I saw Samuel Jackson and. Yeah, you should have I a look. Learned, it's great. I learned something. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's your morning after this podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is, 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 it's uh... bread commercials. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and then and then I I have to say the Hobus spot. You know, as I guess it was England's favorite spot, and I know I'm I'm doing a little of of the deadly sin of lumping England and Ireland together, but you know that talk about Paleolithic memories. That that was such a seminal moment. Every frame in that spot um, was evocative of an era of a time, and I'm sure uh, a memory of Hobus bread in the home that was just just perfectly wrought from from the Dvorak music to that kid running you know flying down the hill on his bike with his with his feet out i mean just breathtakingly wonderful i, lo- I love the way you, you you said that and that's everything is 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 you know, really nice what you just said, but you said that with Winston Churchill literally over your your left shoulder. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fantastic. One of the great revisers <laughs> of all time. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> George, uh, let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Okay, um, we want to get into your ad. Up the so, fever pitch. Exa- exactly. So, what's the first ad we're gonna we're gonna see? Why don't Why don't we look at the the the, the quietest of the bunch, the Pan Am uh, commercial? Okay, perfect. Let, we'll go take a look at it, yep. and then we'll we'll have a chat. If you want to go to Europe this summer and you put it off, then you're going to end up spending another summer not doing what you want to do. And that's no way to live your life, and you know it. Especially when you're 40 or 45 or 50. You find yourself remembering not so much what you did with your life, but what you didn't do with it. So you can put off going to Europe this summer because you don't want to touch the money you've stashed away. Well, there are ways around that. Or you can put off going because of the economy. But what happens if the economy has you a little nervous next summer too? You put off going again. And what about the summer after that? And that's exactly the point. Either you let your life slip away by not doing the things you want to do, or you get up and do them. I've never seen that. That's that's the first I've ever seen that at. Um, you know, I worked at the agency that did that. And so I think that's the only way I found it. Because it's certainly not one of the... Gr- I think it's a great ad, or I wouldn't have brought it on. But it's not mm-hmm. one of the ones you think of when you think about the golden age of American advertising. Um, because 
there's nothing to it except a brilliant piece of writing and some pretty good acting. Um, and writing, you know, I think there's two ways of looking at writing. The way too many people look at, at it, I'll use a word I, I absolutely abhor, is wordsmithing. It's making the words beautiful. The real way of looking at writing is making the words true. And to me, that spot has nothing but truth in it. That mm. that that the overbearing logic that people have to talk them down from spending money because of inflation, because of tumult in the world or whatever it is, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna enjoy myself. It's a very uh, profound way of saying you know live now and don't put it yeah. off till next year it's a travel ad that doesn't have a picture of the eiffel tower or the fjords <laughs> or you know um or anything else but gee whiz um yeah are you going to put it off till next year and what if next year's worse i mean hmm. the the almost the the powerful legal argument <laughs> from from the actor is just you know, I I look at that. Uh, I think of myself as a pretty good writer. I'm not sure I was good enough to write that. Um, mm. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's like if Marcus Aurelius, when he was when he was doing meditations, decided to pen an ad at the same time. Yeah, it's, it, it's that stoicism of you know every day is a gift, use it or lose it kind of thing. That it's it's that, but in a in a commercial for for an airline. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I think because I think you like the airline at the end because the airline gets something about you that maybe you mm. don't even get. So I, I though there's no there's no logo, there's no plane, yeah. there's no smiling stewardess or I'm sorry, flight attendant. Um it's just an airline that actually gets you. They don't have to say they're friendly skies. They and no one's gonna say fly the uh the empathetic guys, uh, but they, they somehow they somehow understand you, and I, I I think that's that's pretty magnificent. Yeah, what I think is really interesting about it is, as you said, there is no picture of the Eiffel Tower because I think they're analyzing the fact that people want to go see they want to go see it, but why aren't they? So right. it's they coming to that in the room, you know, in the pitching room, you're like, okay, we fucking know they want to go to France. They know they want to go to Rome. We know this. We talk to them. We've done research. Everyone wants to go. Right. So let's find out why they're not going and start there. It felt like it felt like having a conversation with like a guidance counselor. And it's like, yeah. or, you know what I mean? Or or a really friendly bank manager that is convincing you to get more. <laughs> He's like, whoa, no, you, you need more money. Right. <laughs> we have no problem. There's no credit checks here. Right. Um, and I think uh, I, I think that's what I love about that finding the inside knowing we don't need to show them the Eiffel Tower because they want to see it anyway. So why they're sold on like, it? Why? Yeah, sold. they're sold. They're sold. We don't need to sell them on that. We need to sell them on next year. could be worse guys. Live your fucking life. Yeah. And you, I think that's you, fabulous. Yeah. You're your own worst enemy. And, hmm. and then of course the other thing is, you know, even, even back when that commercial was done, let's say 1972 or three, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there was a lot of technique and executional prowess that 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 could hide the lack of idea this went in the 
in the other direction. No music, mm -hmm. no fanfare, no beautiful women talking to the camera. Just a guy kind of staring you down and, yeah. and challenging you to keep your complacency. And, you know, so from a, from a technique point of view, if everything around you is noisy and you're quiet, who wins? You do. Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely. That's like, I was only talking to my wife the other day. We, are, we have a two and a half year old. And when he throws a tantrum, what I do is like whisper to him. Right. And I literally am like, hey, buddy. And he's like, he stops and comes in. Right. <laughs> it's right. the best way to cancel out everything he's doing. And right. uh, it's, it's similar. Yeah. If everyone else is being loud, be quiet. Right. And uh, you'll draw attention that way. It's uh, right. it's super impressive. It, it It's an ad that had a funny experience watching it because it felt it felt like I was looking at a, a print ad from the 60s. Right. Like, you know, that the blocks of copy uh, along the bottom of it are just a, a very, very copy led driven, driven piece of print. But it wasn't. It was it was an intimidating, not intimidating. That's the wrong word. But. A person that you know, if you go toe to toe with an argument of why you don't, you're not going to go this summer. You're probably going to lose because, yeah, he has the, he has the right argument. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm. You're you're just making excuses, and if you're explaining your excuses, you know you've lost. Yeah, you're losing. Yeah. Yeah. My, my my younger daughter, who's who's turning thirty two, found him very intimidating and off putting, and I I have to value that opinion as a as a. He's uh, as a communication for today's world. I'm not sure how it would work, but that's a technique thing. The logic thing where you have to grab today by the horns, I think is still relevant. You know, I think that that has a lot of power. Uh, mm. And, and they were true to the idea. They didn't, they didn't have a mortise behind the guy showing the Spanish steps or whatever. It was just him. And what do you mean you don't want to go? What, yeah. what, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. you don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. and, and what was the agency that, that produced? That? I believe it was Carl Alley. Yeah. Or, or Carl what Alley. became Alley and Gargano. Uh, but I believe it was Carl Alley. One of the reasons I think it might be considered somewhat intimidating as well is I just I had it playing there silently. He blinks once at eight seconds and doesn't blink again. Oh, okay. And and yeah. I reckon direction wise, <laughs> they must have gone to blink less, blink as little as you can hold, because yeah. obviously holding that gaze is yeah. such a powerful matter of persuasion. You know what I mean? And that kind of plays into that saying: whoever yeah. blinks first, whoever looks away first. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I'd say if because you don't see advertising like that so i'd say you're looking at it you're like this is this is very direct <laughs> this is but, like an but, interview <laughs> but it's funny because what we're all saying in our own ways is we talk a lot about you know advertising and interactivity mm -hmm. you're you're a cast member in that commercial because he's mm -hmm. talking to you he's yeah. not talking to anyone else but you because he's mm -hmm. got your doubts your uh your qualms your reasons why you can't all figured out and he's mm. talking to you so you know it reminds me a little bit i don't know if you guys know the movie it's a billy wilder directed movie but but the the key players were charles lawton uh marlene dietrich and william holden called witness for the prosecution and charles lawton is a brilliant english barrister and he's going to get you 
he's mm. going to get you. Uh, he's going to find every era, every um, every half truth, and he's going to nail you. And you you know they're just slipping the noose over your head. And um, you know if you have a chance, it's a great movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I put it on the list. Witness um, for the prosecution. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting piece of work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. It'd be interesting like. to see if it could work. Something you know, a contemporary version could work today. Yeah, it's mm. deadly. That's brilliant. Um, okay, but well that's that's some way to open your account, George, uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Fair play. So, uh, what what are you going to follow that up with? Let's let's go to the uh, the Fiat commercial. Uh, which is done by the same agency. It was it was written and and uh, art directed by two guys who went on to fame with their own agencies, uh, Ralph Amarati and Martin Puris, uh, who uh, probably the best American agency of the um, '80s, uh, Amarati and Puris, uh, who went on to BMW fame in the United States. Um, I, I think it's the best single commercial I've ever seen. Every frame there was one done in the uk by collet dixon pierce um for fiat as well that i i went back and forth on it was uh shot to uh it was hand built by robots but i i wound up with mm -hmm. with uh the american um an american commercial thinking it it might be more obscure for your audience Hand built by robots was I think the fourth ad ever shown on this podcast about three years ago. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, fabulous ad. Yeah, we love that. I mean, yeah. Close, yeah. everything yeah. about that ad, except yeah. for the product they were advertising, was perfect. Uh, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Fix it again tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's let's take a look yep. at this uh, this one, and we'll chat a bit more. Okay. He's Remy Julien, Europe's greatest living stunt driver. In Europe, there are 50 different kinds of cars to choose from. Yet, in the more than 100 films Remy Julien has made, he's done more stunts in Fiat's than in any other car. Fiat he prefers above all is this one, the Fiat 124, a family car. That is great. Yeah, it's great. I've never seen that. That's fabulous. It, 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 I mean, when I say the perfect commercial, if you think so... about just the sound design, that yeah. siren uh, at the opening, that kind of klaxon or whatever it is. Yeah. Like it, it yeah. I mean, I look at TV, you know, I don't watch a lot of television. And usually when I do watch television, I don't think I'm alone in this. I have a laptop on my lap. So I'm not actually looking at the screen. And I, I, I see these or I hear these or I ignore these commercials that have nothing to get you to look up. I mean, the same way if we were having a conversation, I go, Shane. <laughs> nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. nothing that 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 breaks your ennui 
um, that commercial, boom, gets you from the start, hits you with that stair scene. Mm. Um, the two trucks that he 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 uh, maneuvers through uh, the whole thing, and then and that's just visual uh, to to culminating at the leap. Uh, and then you know in Europe where there were fifty kinds of small cars, you know the one car chosen more than any other for by Remy Julien is the Fiat 124, and then you get the punchline. And it is a punchline. I mean, a literal mm. punch in the face line. A family car. Holy shit, man! Wow, I want a Fiat now because of that car. That car. Yeah. It's, it's um, pretty, pretty. Yeah, it's amazing. great. Like it, this would have been when seventy seventy four. Yeah. So like yeah. you had like the Italian job nineteen sixty nine. You had right. Bullet with Steve McQueen nineteen sixty eight. Right. And I was hoping I was because it, it's famously in Bullet in one of the chase scenes. It's uh, five hubcaps come off the car at different corners. So <laughs> if you count them, there's a fifth hubcap, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but uh, similar, that kind of late 60s, early 70s car chase, all right. practical, all done in camera. And right. it's what it was the equivalent of, I guess, what Michael Bay did in the early 90s. Just the biggest thing you could do on camera was car. Right. And um, to attach that with Fiat, I'd love to know if the insight of he's done most of his stunts in a Fiat. I'd love to know the validity of that and where that came in the process do you know what yeah. i mean was someone like do you know this stunt job this stunt driver he, they do all feet because it's such a common car or whatever and like i'd right. love to know what drove that yeah. actual realization it's i mean like, today so cool. i guess we would call that my, my, my guess is that somebody saw something like one of the movies that you mentioned shane yeah, yeah. and then backed up on some research and found that they talked to Remy Julien, and and I know he he used, um, I know he he um, I think he had been in a couple of Fiat spots. I know he he drove a Fiat in one or two famous kind of yeah, you know, chase scenes. Now I had a conversation with John O'Driscoll, um, and he sent me a couple of Fiat spots that he had done. Yeah. Uh, when, I think when he was at CDP. And, um, but we, we, we actually, on my blog, we actually talked about, I think this spot, I just think it's, there's nothing, there's no frame in it that I don't like, and there's no bland in it. Like no other car is staking this claim. Mm. And today I look at car advertising. I care about cars. I like cars. Um, and everything is absolutely the same. They drive down the same windy roads. They pass over the same uh, architecturally beautiful bridges. And they have the same soccer moms in the front seat. And oh, yeah. everything is absolutely the same. And They're like perfume ads now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this, when, when he's wrestling with the steering wheel down the steps, you feel it. Mm. I mean, you freaking feel it. For, it's it's for so good. I, I, love the, I love the shot where... The birds, all the pigeons. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking from a production perspective because that's such a classic shot. It's like, did they just throw a load of bread there and be like, just say nothing, <laughs> just don't kill. <laughs> Hopefully they all go, <laughs> and you get that perfect kind of like almost John Woo. Like, yeah, no, no one mourns a pigeon though. 
No, no, that's fair. Yes, that's that's very fucking true. But I bet you someone. I think complain. that's going to be the name of my autobiography. <laughs> yeah. uh... that's great. the 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 name of of him, uh, Remy Julian. It almost sounds like a made up stunt character that they like a character yeah. they'll use for the ad or the series. Uh, like I'm sure he probably is a a real stunt oh, yeah. driver. Yeah, if you uh, look but... him up on YouTube, you find him in a lot of. You know, a lot of the Fiat throwing the Fiat in reverse while the uh, the Ford is still chasing you in forward, and and d- doing a a one eighty and then peeling out the other. You find a lot of Remy Julien, and you'll find this. It's easier to find this commercial in Italian than it is in English. <laughs> I'd say, Aaron, I just threw up his IMDb here. You're gonna love this. He was in. He's been in three Bonds. Goldeneye, License to Kill, and Octopussy. Aaron's a big Bond fan, so okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's got a. He's, no, he, he's, he's, he's a, a very real person. person. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very real person. Yeah, yeah. I, I won like a mini series on the life of Remy Julian. Paramount Plus can make that next. Aaron, we can That's make what it. They can do. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> but Get George on, executive to, producer. You know, yeah. it's the whole thing. <laughs> if you talk to John O'Driscoll. Um, he he shot some fiat spots if I remember right. Cool. Close. That's and, fast. And, uh, That's really good. Ad. Yeah. So so the the the, the fiat ads uh, fiat ads of the seventies were 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 something else. Like because we we you did mention about hand built by robots. Yeah. We, we 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 had that on, and I think that that was that was one of the the first. Actually, you mentioned Dave Dave Dye's stuff from the loft. That was yeah. the first guest he had on was Sir Frank Lowe and. And he talked in detail about the making of the ad and oh. the strikes in Italy and and like someone was killed. Kind of, Wasn't there someone in, killed on the steps? There's a, a, a yeah, there was a Outside. factory manager who was who shot in, on, yeah. on the steps of it. So they had to shoot it in secret and everything, but didn't didn't stop them obviously making a a, a classic ad. So it's, it's kind of nice that you see you see that ads that were brilliant back then weren't just one hit wonders. That there's like there was like a mm. culture of great ads within yeah. the brand. Uh, there's I can send it to you after this. Uh, there were a series of great ads that uh, print ads mostly that um Carl Alley agency in New York did for um for Fiat as a matter of fact Ron Berger um who worked at Alley who I think was in the mailroom when that ad came out was given his first assignment this is the way I understand it he told me was given his first assignment to do an a print ad off of that commercial and you know he's a 24 year old kid in the mail room and he took the the still shot from the spot of the car flying through the air and the headline was something like how to how to catch the 524 ferry at 525 um <laughs> and so i mean but you look at the texture of i mean the response that you guys just had which is a real response and it's my description of it so it's not mm. even the real thing a 55 year old image and you're holy shit or a 50 year old image. Uh, but it's, it's, there's something, there's something, there's an empathy there because everyone worries about missing trains and, and, and and the family car, uh, cherry on top, um, is, it, it is, um, you know, so resonant. And the other bit, I guess, is, America at the time, it was probably the early OPEC crisis. So we were just probably beginning to turn away from the, you know, the 21 foot long cars 
mm. to the kind of European sports sedans, BMWs, Saabs, um, Fiats. Uh, I don't know if there was an English entry there, but um, that that more kind of boxy classical Volvo, uh, you know, Mercedes uh, that didn't look like American cars could fit a family and still not bore you to death. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and it's uh yeah, that's that I'm I'm so delighted you brought that because uh never came across that before and uh, it's I, I a, love when we yeah. When, when we bring when some when people like yourself bring great ads, that's part of our archive. Yeah, so you yeah. know what I mean? So it's yeah. that, that, oh, good. that's one that so, that definitely should have been in there. And ex- as, as with the Pan Am. An so, executive somewhere will be one day pushed to go into a meeting one of the reasons we set this up for ourselves was being executives and be like break bring great work on the wednesday whip and like the executives are worked to the fucking bone barely have time to deal with their clients and then they're like panicking 10 minutes beforehand so we're like they could just go onto the archives and be like yeah this one grand has anyone seen this one maybe so hopefully someone will bring this to a a random office at some stage and enlighten a lot of people so George, how are you going to top those two uh, with your with your final act? How are you going to land that? Well, the um, yeah. So the last ad, uh, the, which is a print ad, and there's a lot of copy, um, is for Toshiba TV sets. So it's not, mm-hmm. hey Tosh got a Toshiba, um, but it's and man, I would love to talk to Trot about this, um, but. At the time, my thesis on this ad is that at the time, let's say the the mid-70s, I'll give you a backstory on this ad, the early to mid-70s, color TV sets were entering the consciousness like electric cars are now. Mm-hmm. If you, you had a black and white set, it was fine but your neighbors are getting a color TV set. You got to buy a color TV set. You really have no idea, you know, and, and at the time there were a hundred brands. There's Panasonic, Toshiba, Sony, you know, the American brands, RCA, Quasar, Philco, Zenith, Magnavox, like brands you probably haven't thought about in 40 years. And how do you show, how do you communicate picture quality when you can't really show a picture because a magazine color picture isn't anything novel or mm. that you'll pay attention to. You'll know if you're seeing an ad for a color TV in a magazine, you'll know the picture is simulated. Same thing on TV, actually. But how do you show superiority? Today, I look at that and I say, well, the 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 parallel is electric cars. Uh, everybody's abandoning you know, ICE, internal combustion engine for electric and i look at the ads on tv and they all say the brand new electric blank mm-hmm. the electric blank the electric blank revolution and it's like are you telling me all electric engines are the same just like 50 years ago all color tv screens were the same all the mm-hmm. guts were the same and i remember sitting at my mother's kitchen table we used to get a magazine called the new yorker we still get it here in new york um kind of like an kind of like the um the american equivalent of punch uh you know uh high-end to be honest about it most people read it just for the cartoons 
Um, but as a boy, flipping through it, and as I mentioned before, paying attention to ads, and they gave me a way, they let me prove to myself that the Toshiba had a better picture screen, mm. uh, a, 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 a better better uh, color color screen. And they did it. They made you feel like an idiot if you didn't do this because they said, I, I think they said something like how a 19 cent box of crayons could prove that our picture is better. Mm. And they actually have four visuals and they talk about dot patterns. And at the end of it, I don't know about you guys. I actually believe this this is a superior yeah. configuration. I don't know anything about how you know the multi-pixel screens are made and Apple has names for them all the time. Um, and I don't even know what they mean. But I think about those four pictures and a lot of my career. 12 years of my 40 year career spent working on IBM and you know everybody talks about this processor or the speed of this this computer or the you know number of calculations or this that and the other thing you know dual core processors and it's like well what's a dual core processor and what's a single core processor yeah <laughs> so i i happen to know because of this ad because of this Toshiba ad, I said, I have to take apart what a processor looks like, not physically, but yeah, intellectually, yeah. and explain what a dual core does that makes it so much faster. So, mm. you know, this ad makes the viewer... The product they're selling is a considered purchase. At the time, it was a considered purchase. Uh Nobody had the money just to run out and drop $450, which was more than a week's salary at the time on a TV set. So mm -hmm. I don't know what the equivalent would be today. So you'd have to think, you go. And then, of course, a third of most per a third of purchases end in buyer's remorse anyway. But this seemed to be getting rid of buyer's remorse before you actually bought the product. Like, mm. gee whiz, I know I'm getting the right thing. They're proving to me that the picture... They're letting me prove to myself that the picture is better based on logic and coloring rather than adjectives. And that's what I meant before when I said this isn't about wordsmithing, because maybe I could go to John Keats or something like that, Percy Blythe Shelley, and find some beautiful words describing color and landscapes and whatnot. But this this put me in the picture, so to speak, and let mm -hmm. me prove it to myself with a with a 19 cent box of crayons, I buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's fantastic. It's like show, you know, they say show don't tell. Yeah. It's show and tell. It's like yeah. they're showing it to us and then they're, but what that does then for me, and you see it, you it see it yourself. with fanatics, I then sell. So when I yeah. go to my friend's house to watch the game and I'm like, this is the third generation. You see the don't. And then you start yeah. explaining it because now I'm the fucking expert <laughs> bit of knowledge with no commission. You into, uh... Yeah. A little bit right. of knowledge is dangerous. Right. But it's, right. um, it's but, really powerful because you're armed. I would people. say it encourages word of mouth, which is yeah. the most, you know, and, and today we might call it, um, today we might call it advocates for the brand mm. you know we have a sophisticated 48 page powerpoint on the power of advocates um but to you know what it, what it makes me do as a as a creative person as a as a, a as someone who works with c level people 
to try to differentiate mm-hmm. is it makes me say, what's your parallel to this? How do we explain what we do? So we're not, this is not an adjective war where mm-hmm. I have to come up with better adjectives than another copywriter someplace else. You know, what I was able to do, I worked in an agency in America in New York called RGA, which is basically a tech implementation. This is negative, but I'll say it. That that did a lot of tech implementation in mm-hmm. the early days of the web. L- less communication and more how do we make the web work for you? You guys remember that era. And mm-hmm. I got most of the communications business. But what happened was I got a lot of clients coming to me who didn't really understand communications, how communications work, what communications are, which is great to work with an agency. So what I did was I boiled it down to four Ds, and I still use this today. The first D is define uh, and differentiate. Who are you? How do you act? What makes you different? The second D is demonstration. How do you show it? So it's not just we have a sharper, clearer picture. The third D I don't get involved in is disseminate. How do you get the information out there? But the fourth D, Shane, to your point, is um, is disciples. How do I create disciples? Mm-hmm. And if you look at any one of these three ads with that under that kind of uh, structure, uh, define, demonstrate, disseminate, we can cross out for a sec, and disciples, each one of those ads, I think, yeah. rings the bell on each of those categories because there's talk value in each one of them. Mm. Do, do you know what I think is, is, is quite interesting on this? For for a topic, as you said, you, you, you made a nice uh, kind of comparison between the electric car market and color TV market at the time that this this ad came out. What it, what it does for, for people who know that color TV is their thing, we know that electric cars are their thing, we don't know the ins and outs, how they work, unless you've gone through the process of doing the research and figuring out. And, and you know, there's the no research between. today because everything on, on Google is bought. Mm. But that's the thing. So you don't you don't really you don't really know until you really have to know. And, you, and even then, when you do look it up or get advice, you're you're still taking a punt on it. You know, that right. I hope I'm buying the right one for, right. for my budget for this. What I find interesting about this is that the, the strap line hooks you in a 19 cent box of crayons can save you from making a $400 mistake on a color TV. So that instantly puts the onus on you as someone who's half considering buying a color TV, yeah. puts the onus on you to do a little bit of work to not fuck it up yeah. right? and waste $400. So right. like it kind of makes you go, oh, right, where's the kid's pencil case and, yeah. <laughs> and go yeah. get the colors. But the brand is on your side too because yeah. they're, yeah. they're going to show you how not to make a mistake. Of they're making it easy for you. It's advertising. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna bang the drum on their brand, but you understand that with a bad ad, <laughs> you know. But at least they 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 give you an out. They let you prove it to yourself. Mm, definitely, it's it's, it's not yeah. just bragging. And and it's, I guess what they also do with an element of education like this is is say if you can't bring together the four hundred dollars and you have to spend two hundred fifty dollars in third generation you're going to be looking at that third generation being like, 
it's just not as good. And now I know why. I, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So now right. every time you're watching that TV, you're thinking about the fact that it's not the fourth generation because right. you know. It, <laughs> it's like the effect that the Sony Bravia bouncing balls out oh, yeah, and everyone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my TV shit. Yeah. That's new TV. But they were showing you know? that to you in the fucking cinema at huge, like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That, like, for an ad that looks very intimidating and off-putting because it's just it's it's a lot when mm. you when you, yeah. your eyes first take it in when you actually when you when you read the first line the first the headline that pulls and makes everything else uh not just palatable but appetizing because you want it you want to figure it out you want to crack the ad then mm. yeah the other bit about that aaron that that i i would um add is i, I saw this ad in the new yorker which is a literary, you know, uh, ma magazine for a class of pe a group of people who like reading, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's got like, basically the best American fiction and nonfiction. And so it's not people who are just flipping through, you know, at the beauty salon. These are people who are there, there might be uh, an Updike article, there might be uh, mm -hmm. something by you know, Elizabeth, you know, uh, uh, famous John Hersey, the guy who wrote Hiroshima. These are the people who who filled the pages. So, you know, if Phil Duesenberry, the American uh, uh, advertising guy who kind of changed, who, who made BBDO great, if part of his thesis in the 70s was from a production quality point of view, TV commercials have to be better than the programs around that look better than the programs around them, mm -hmm. or there's no reason to look up mm -hmm. as a copywriter in a print ad that's running in the New Yorker. You better be as good a writer as John mm -hmm. Updike in, yeah. you know, he might be selling rabbit run. You're selling Toshiba, different, different jobs, but you can't be sloppy and dumb. You, mm. you, 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 you're, 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 you're at like you're talking you're selling at oxford um you know you're 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 in pretty rarefied uh realms mm. and i think it comes across that way so you're right it is intimidating especially looking back on it if it's a if it's an ad from 74 you know it's it's what would that be almost 50 years old you know it, yeah it's 50 year old ad it looks intimidating but contextually, I don't think it was nearly as intimidating. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. So, as you said, when you're in that kind of media environment, show up. Yeah. And uh, not just blend in, but feel like you have, you got an invite to the party. Yeah, <laughs> You have exactly. a right to be there, but you're I mean, still an ad at the same time. The, the last thing I'll say about that ad is I remember that ad from when I was 16, let's say. I only found it about three years ago. I mm. I looked for it for literally 35 years. Wow. Because I remembered those four circles. I didn't mm. remember the headline. I remember the 19 cent box of crayons because somebody was smart enough not to say 20 cents because they were 19 cents. <laughs> um, you know, so they, they were, they established an honesty with me. I looked for that ad for literally four decades because I knew I'd be in a situation where I wanted to teach someone or help someone with something in terms of a demonstration. And I, I could think of no better 
few better demonstration ads than that. Mm. And now it's getting its time to shine, and hopefully someone <laughs> else has been looking for this. I have no idea who see it on this. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea who did it um, or what agency. Okay, but that's uh, that that's brilliant, and again, this kind of feels like a bit of a masterclass in 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 how to do things like top level mm. um w- with that so that's that's amazing i never saw never saw or heard that ad before so thank you so much for oh my brilliant my, my you, pleasure you stuck the landing george yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuck the landing. <laughs> 10 out of 10 which you're fine yeah, yeah exactly no yeah no i've got chalk all over my hands from the palm <laughs> <laughs> uh george thank you so much for um coming on the podcast first and foremost but also bringing an amazing selection of ads your insights behind them were we're, we're really interested and uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you first and foremost but I think um, I have two questions for you sure one are you taking some select briefs from, from uh, as it currently stands or in the near future and if if the answer is yes how do people get in touch or, or consume more of your um, stuff thank you for that question it, it it's funny you know I have a big for a guy who's basically and I don't know if it comes across on this podcast basically a very shy guy um, I would never meet with you in public. I mean, at a bar or something. I don't do that really. Is that but, because of us? No, not because of you. I'm just, I'm just like I'm. A, I'm a private guy. I, I keep to myself. But you know, social media allows you to be social. Um, so I I have a big presence on social media, and this is a true story. It happened about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I get a little blip on my LinkedIn. Uh, you know, somebody. Somebody sends me a message. He's the CEO of a large agency. And he says, I want to talk to you about a potential assignment, not a job because I, I work for myself, but a potential assignment helping us out. And so we exchange phone numbers. We have a time to call. And I, you know, I dial in. Um, and the first thing he says to me is, you're proof that advertising works. Because he called me because of my ads. Mm. And, Amazing. you know, that, so... So I, 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 you know, I, I keep trying to do that and, you know, get myself out there that way in terms of, you know, I, I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I actually love advertising. I love what I do. I don't love it every day, every minute. Cause a lot of it is, uh, you know, as, as Winston said back there, blood, sweat, toil, and tears. It's, it's not always easy. It's not just collecting trophies. Um, but I, I love what I do. So, you know, I talk to clients as honestly as I'm talking to you guys, Mm. I try to communicate what makes me, me and my approach, um, very me, which is I bring an enthusiasm and a love and a belief that as Bernbeck called them, simple, timeless human truths can win the day. And, you know, it's not that I don't care about technique, but I think finding that nugget about a brand and communicating it in a clear, compelling way is the most powerful thing you can do. My essential belief is that most brands don't really know what they do or why they're different. And a lot of what I do, I just got through with uh, um, stage one of probably an 80 stage pitch is a lot of what I do is forensic. I try to Mm -hmm. get to the core of the brand and find out what makes them them. I try to find out their 19 cent box of crayons. 
And after that, I'm just a reporter. I don't even have to be creative. The creative work is finding what makes brands different uh, and then exploiting and saying it in an interesting way. So, you know, I take clients all the time because I love what I work. I love what I do. And, and when you work for yourself, the more work you do, the more money you make. And I like money. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's not like working for an agency and half your work is for free because you only get paid 40 hours a week and you work 80. Um, I, I, you know, if I work more, I get more. So, uh, and right now I need the money. Um, so, you know, I, I take on assignments all the time. I had a simple idea of when I was fired from Ogilvy that I'm not going to work with people I don't like. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't work with cheap, cheap people either. Um, because, you know, the American ad industry anyway, it's the only thing I, I know about has been a race to the bottom financially um, to the, to the, to the point about uh, electric cars or, or today or color TVs 45 years ago, they don't know how to non-commoditize themselves. Hmm. And if they don't know, if they can't non-commoditize themselves, how are they going to non-commoditize you? Hmm. So, um, you know, I look at myself, that's why I'm a chief George officer, not a chief creative officer, because I'm going to use me, my brain, my whatever, to non-commoditize you. You know, basically I break, I've been doing this for years. I break the industry down into two, the, the people who try to make you different. And then the people who make rectangles, uh, you know, it's either a TV rectangle or a, a web rectangle or a mm -hmm. print rectangle, but they're all the same. And it's, it's a low cost, undifferentiated rectangle that you're buying. So you can buy that or you can buy someone who gets to know you. The, the thing that all three spots or three commercials or three ads that have in common is they got to a core of something very, very different and very believable about the brand. You know, the Pan Am spot was we understand how much you want to go and we're going to make it happen for you. We're going to let your... I don't know if it's the devil on your shoulder or the angel on your shoulder win. We're going to let one of them win. The fiat thing is, you know, under the harshest conditions in the world, which is driving in America or driving in the UK, we've got a car that shows up. And the Toshiba thing is we're going to get you a better screen and you can prove it to yourself. Mm. But they're all very real. There, there's no, I bet you could go through those ads and not find a single adjective. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. you know well, I, I meant platitude really adjective is platitude yeah. like greatest best yeah you know, yeah yeah you, you know you know most spectacular views of the eiffel tower no they're all the same guys doesn't need to its own horn yeah oh, amazing. that's amazing so yeah. uh is linkedin the best way to get in touch yeah i'm pr i'm pretty easy to find uh i mean you know there's a there's a you can call my wife uh you know <laughs> she always knows where i am um yeah no linkedin is is pretty easy it's it's uh yeah I'm, I'm, i i i have a pretty 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 big presence on it and you know what i try to do is uh you know if i have a big assignment you know i have a great rolodex because i've been working for 100 years and i tr i try to bring in the right people around me as i need them planners or producers art directors and, you know, put together uh, 
the team a client needs and I have a little catchphrase. I say, you know, availability is not a capability. Most agencies, <laughs> if somebody's available, that means that they're working on your business. Uh, now here, I try to find the right people for the job. Um, and, and if it's people who need to kind of pull apart a brand and get to its core, those are the people I like to hang with, mm, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and people who like a nice laugh now and again. Well, George, it's been a pleasure hanging with you and uh, adding you onto our own Rolodex uh, for, with your. Okay, okay. Do you want to do you want an advertising joke before I leave? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Please. It, it. I don't think it's filthy or anything, but uh, a woman dies, fifty-eight years old, uh, and goes goes to heaven, and she's being inspected by Saint Peter. That's what happens, right? He's looking at her dossier and he says, you're 58 years old and I see you're a virgin. Like, how is this possible? You've been, you know, married for 34 years. You're 58 years old. You're still a virgin. How is this possible? And she said, well, my husband was in advertising. And every day, every night, he'd come into the bedroom. He'd sit on the side of the bed and tell me how great it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh, that's gonna be that's gonna joke. be our teaser for this episode <laughs> <laughs> that's unreal. Oh, fab. Uh, george thank you so much thank for your you guys uh and, and uh coming on the podcast and if I... anyone was sorry george no my pleasure oh, it's been it's been great and if anyone was listening and actually wants to see the ads and see the print ad in particular and uh, and Remy then go on to workwithfo.e forward slash podcast where you can see them in all their glory uh, but until next week Slong Gafo Slong Gafo